Hey there, Sports History fan. Arnie Chapman here from the Sports History Network. Now, before you jump into this episode, I wanted to share with you an exciting giveaway we have going on with Homefield Apparel. We have a digital $50 gift card to homefieldapparel.com for one lucky fan of the Sports History Network. All you got to do is head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways to sign up. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways. This is Basketball History 101 with Rick Loiza. Welcome back to Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network. I am your host, Rick Loiza, and this is the podcast where we bring to life some of the forgotten stories from basketball history. And today, we are going to share the story of Hal Greer, probably the best guard that hardly ever gets talked about. If you were ever in a conversation about who were the best guards prior to 1980, you will probably list the following names. Jerry West, Oscar Robertson, Sam Jones, Bob Cousy, or Pete Maravich, and you would be right to include those names in your conversation. But one name that almost never pops up is Hal Greer, and Hal Greer is in the Hall of Fame. The guy went to 10 straight All-Star games. So let me give you his background and tell his story from the beginning. He was born Harold Everett Greer on June 26, 1936 in Huntington, West Virginia, where he was raised. He played for local Douglas High School where he set himself apart as a gifted basketball player. He was a sought after player by many schools, but local Marshall University had the inside track on getting him since it would allow him to stay in his hometown where he would be able to play in front of his friends and family. And that was important to him. So he decided to stay home and join the thundering herd of Marshall University. And in accepting the scholarship, he broke a color barrier. He became the first black player to accept a scholarship to a state university in the state of West Virginia. It was in the fall of 1954 when he enrolled at Marshall to begin his life as a student and basketball player. In 1956, he led Marshall to their first NCAA tournament appearance. He made all-conference and began to develop a reputation for being particularly strong scorer. In his final year at Marshall in 1958, he earned All-America honors when he led his team with nearly 24 points per game and over 10 rebounds per game. But now it was time to turn professional. But by his own admission, he hadn't really thought about life as a professional basketball player. He didn't think he was good enough for the NBA. And I've mentioned this in a previous episode, but making the NBA back then was really, really difficult. Today, we have 30 teams, and each team takes on two or three rookies every year. That means that on average, the NBA brings in between 70 and 80 rookies every year. But back in 1958, when Greer was graduating from Marshall, the NBA only had eight teams. The league only brought in between 16 and 20 rookies every year. So basically, if you were not one of the top 20 players in the nation coming out of college, you were not going to make it and you would have to rely on your degree for your financial future. But Greer was drafted with the fifth pick in the second round. That translates to the 13th overall pick in the draft by the Syracuse Nationals, where he would join superstar and future Hall of Famer Dolph Shays. With only eight teams in the league, competition was fierce, but Greer did well. He was seventh on the team in scoring his rookie year at 11 points per game. It was a very solid start, and he would continue to develop his game and take on more responsibility with the team. 
By his third year in the league, he would raise his scoring average to nearly 20 points per game and begin a streak of making it to 10 straight All-Star games, establishing himself as one of the premier guards in the league. At 6'2 or 188 centimeters, he was the perfect shooting guard or two guard. In many ways, he helped set the pattern for the modern shooting guard, in that he was an extremely consistent outside shooter who could stretch the defense and open up the middle for his post players. His career average of shooting 45% from the field is extremely high for a non-center. Most guards back then made shots with a percentage in the high 30s. Shooting 45% was considered deadly accurate back then. In fact, his shot was so consistent that when he took his free throws, he would take jump shots, and he made them at an 80% rate. I guess you can't argue with results. During the summer of 1963, the Syracuse Nationals saw an opportunity to move to a larger city. The Philadelphia Warriors had moved to San Francisco the previous year, leaving the city of Philadelphia with no team at all. So seizing the opportunity, the Nationals moved to Philadelphia and renamed themselves the Philadelphia 76ers. Hal Greer made the move with the team, and with this fresh start in a new city, he helped lead them into a new era of success. And this is a good place to take a break, and I'll be right back with the rest of Hal Greer's story. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Welcome back to the show, and let's continue with the story of Hal Greer. Now that the team was in Philadelphia, it was gradually improving every year. Their aging star Dolph Shays retired after that first season in Philadelphia with a total of 15 years with the club. He was immediately named the new head coach of the team. Also, the newly christened 76ers added Chet Walker, Larry Costello, and Johnny Red Kerr. But their big addition was a trade to get Will Chamberlain at midseason. They were now starting to really challenge the Boston Celtics who were in the middle of their famous eight-year run as champions. But in the playoffs in 1965, the 76ers met the Celtics in the Eastern Conference Finals and they were able to push the series to seven games. This was their best chance of making it to the finals in 10 years. However, it was a tall order to try to beat the Celtics in the Boston Garden. But at the end of the game, the Celtics held a one-point lead with five seconds left. The score was 110 to 109. Boston had just turned over the ball, so Philadelphia was set to inbound the ball underneath Boston's basket. Greer was the inbounder. Greer throws the ball to Chet Walker, but John Havlicek of the Celtics anticipates the pass and gets a good jump on it. He taps the ball to Sam Jones, who takes off dribbling, and that's when you hear that famous line by Celtics announcer Johnny Most, Havlicek stole the ball! The Celtics would move on to the finals and win another championship. The Celtics would win again in 1966. But 1967 was a little different. Things really began to gel. It was a balanced scoring attack with lockdown defense. That year, Will Chamberlain only averaged 24 points per game. Greer was second on the team with 22 points per game, followed by Chet Walker at 19 points and Billy Cunningham at 18 points. Opponents could no longer concentrate just on Wilt. The 76ers were now a balanced team and they ran through the NBA that year setting a new record for most victories in a single season when they went 68-13. and 13. They would meet the Celtics again in the Eastern Finals. In Game 1 of that series, Greer led the 76ers with 39 points. He carried the scoring load so that Will could focus on rebounds and defense. They won Game 1 by a score of 127-113. to 113. 
they would also win games 2 and 3. And the Celtics would come back to win game 4, but it wasn't enough. The 76ers would take game 5 with a dominant 140-116 victory to close out the series and put an end to the Celtics' 8-year run as league champions. Greer led the team with 32 points, and they did what no team had done since the 1958 St. Louis Hawks, knock Bill Russell and the Celtics out of the playoffs. Hal Greer deserves a ton of credit for winning that series. Of course the team had the great Will Chamberlain, but it was Greer's outside shooting that took a ton of pressure off of Wilt. They would move to the finals and defeat the San Francisco Warriors four games to two. Greer, Wilt, and the rest of the team had just secured the first championship of their careers. For Greer, it would be the only championship of his career. If you asked basketball experts from the 1960s who were the best guards of the decade, they would list Jerry West, Oscar Robertson, Sam Jones, and Hal Greer. Greer would continue to play for the 76ers until 1973 when he retired at the age of 36. His game had deteriorated and so had the team. That year, the 76ers set a new record for futility. They had the worst record in NBA history when they totaled only 9 wins against 73 losses. At the time that Greer retired, he held the all-time NBA record for most games played in a career with 1,122 games. He's also the all-time leading scorer in 76ers team history. Here are the top 5 scores today in 76ers history in reverse order. Number 5 is Charles Barkley. Number 4 is Dr. J. Number 3 is Dolph Shays. Number 2 is Allen Iverson. And number 1 is still Hal Greer. Here are just some of the things that others have said about Hal Greer. Dolph Shays admired Greer's work ethic saying, quote, Hal Greer punched the clock. Hal Greer brought the lunch pail, unquote. The Herald Tribune newspaper said, quote, if there were even an award given to a player who is mostly respected by basketball insiders while getting the minimum public appreciation, Greer would win that award hands down, unquote. Al Bianchi once said, quote, we called Greer bulldog because he had the kind of expression on his face and it never changed, unquote. His old coach, Alex Hannum, said, quote, Al Greer had the best medium range jump shot ever, unquote. Greer's jersey number 15 was the first jersey number ever retired by the 76ers. He is also inducted into the Hall of Fame in 1982 and was named one of the 50 greatest players in NBA history during the NBA's 50th anniversary season in 1996. And if you were ever in Huntington, West Virginia, his hometown, there is a good chance that you will drive down Hal Greer Boulevard. It's the road that goes right past his old university. Sadly, he passed away in 2018 after a brief illness at the age of 81. But he needs to be remembered as not only one of the best guards of his era, but one of the best guards of all time. That's it for today. Join us next time as we share the story of Kutcher's Hotel and Country Club. This Jewish resort located in the Catskill Mountains of upstate New York is where some of the best pickup basketball games happened in the summers of the 1960s. It was common to see NBA All-Stars working to stay in shape during the basketball offseason. That's next time on Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network, the headquarters of Sports Yesteryear. Go to sportshistorynetwork.com to find out more about this and other sports history podcasts. If you like what you hear, please hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. Also, go ahead and give us a rating and a review, and that will help others to find this podcast more easily. And check out our page on Facebook. It's called Basketball History 101 Podcast. There you will find shorter historical posts as well as comments and discussion starters on today's game. 
I'll also announce there when new episodes come out. I want to thank my producer and editor, Jacob Loiza. Join us each week as we continue to mine the history of basketball for more great stories from the past. Take care and see you soon. Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. This is Mark Mortier, and if you're a sports history fan like me, tune in and hear me talk about some great sports moments of the past. Growing up during the 1970s, I got to watch some of the most iconic moments in sports history. Hank Aaron breaking Babe Ruth's home run record. Willis Reed limping out of the locker room in Game 7 of the NBA Finals at Madison Square Garden as the fans erupted with a thunderous ovation. The 1980 Miracle on Ice as Team USA defeated the powerful Soviet Union in the Olympics. Listen every Tuesday on Yesterday's Sports. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.